I have the privilege again this morning to introduce Ashley to you. Last week I did um, intro. If you missed last week, Ashley um, Vanderwald is also South African. I said last week we're taking over everywhere. Um, I warned him when he came in and I said, listen, if half of the time you're speaking Afrikaans in this building, don't be surprised. But I know we are so many people from so many different backgrounds here. And that's what makes me excited because in these two weeks, we're trying to equip everyone to say, can we defend our faith in a reasonable way? And that is what apologetics is. It means that we defend the Christian faith. And part of faith is always a hard thing. And we can only trust God with that. But at the same time, Peter tells us that we need to be ready to give an explanation to what we believe. So last week, Ashley started talking about God. And this week, we're going to dial into Jesus. And um, I'm excited to welcome him again today. He's the worship director at Springvale Church um, in Stovall. And then in his studies, um, he's busy with his master's at the moment, also in apologetics. So Ashley, welcome. I'll hand over to you. Thank you so much, Louis. It's good being here. Let's start in a word of prayer. Father, I am so thankful for this morning. I'm thankful that you have blessed us with another day to see your glory, uh, to see another day come where we can learn more about you, pursue more about you, and explore your truth. So, Father, today as we are here, may you be glorified. As I present the word, Father, may your Holy Spirit lead through me. Uh, May you use the words I say. May you uh, use the knowledge and the time I have invested in pursuing your truth. And Father, may your truth come through this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, speaking on stage, I always have this irrational fear that my zipper is open. So I felt like me saying it out loud would probably make it better in case it is open. So (laughs) I'm not going to look, but um, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. I'm good. All right. That's the first thing I thought of as I walked on. So (laughs) um, it's good being here again today. It's, it's, It's good speaking on this topic. I'm really passionate about it. Uh, If this is your first time, as Louis was saying, apologetics is all about defending Christianity. It's not about apologizing. It's rooted in the word apologia, which simply means speaking in defense. Now, last week we spoke about the case for God's existence, and we did so without opening the Bible. It was really important to meet people where they are. So we asked the question, well, can God's natural revelation lead us to him? You know, can science and the scientific worldview essentially lead us to a reasonable and logical conclusion that God exists? So if you missed that out, go to uh, Grace Church's YouTube channel and watch it last week. Now, today we're doing the same thing, but with Jesus. Now, today we're holding Jesus to the same standard as ancient historicity. We're holding Jesus to the same standard we would any character in history, Caesar, Cleopatra, Alexander the Great, you name it, we have to. Because if we are to say Christianity is true and Jesus really existed, is it just true because the Bible says so? Or is there more to it? What do we learn outside of the Bible? But first, last week I spoke with a couple of people off the church and I realized um, you might really benefit from the following tool. Now, when engaging with people, sometimes it's really daunting um, daunting to, to talk about your Christian faith. So 
my South Afrikaners sal verstaan wat ek nou net deurgegaan het. Um, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone and you're not really sure how to present your case. Like someone just said, God is a myth. Or someone just said, uh, I choose to believe in science over faith. Or they say, well, Jesus didn't really exist, just like Zeus or any other mythological religious figure. And when I said those three statements, how did it make you feel? Like if someone comes to you right now and says, God is a myth, God does not exist. What's your first gut instinct? Like what's the first thing you'll do? If you were to be honest with yourself right now. Your Thanksgiving dinner, there's a turducken. I never knew that was a thing. My very first Canada um, Thanksgiving was I got a turducken. It was, it was wrapped in bacon. It was like a meat fest. It was crazy. Um, I mean, in South Africa, we usually, Brian, we have lamb and we have steak and we have sausage. And, but man, it's her Dawkins next level. All right, so someone says, God doesn't exist, God is a myth. What's your first gut instinct? Now, if your first reaction was to explain, like we shared last week, well, here is why God is not a myth. Here is why God does exist. You've just missed out on a great opportunity to steer a conversation. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because a person saying God doesn't exist, they're making a claim. You don't have to defend their claim. You don't have to defend your position. If that person makes a claim or a statement, the burden of proof is on them to prove their statement. All right? So someone says, the earth is flat. You don't have to say, well, the earth is actually round. You just ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Like, they made the statement, so they have to fight a really big uphill battle to prove why the earth is flat. Same when someone says God doesn't exist, you don't have to prove to them why God does exist. They don't ask you. Just ask them a couple of questions. This is called the Socratic method. Now, even if you're like a high school kid in a university-level physics class and the scientist keeps on saying how God does not exist... And, and, and this high school student might feel so out of depth with, like, this conversation. I don't even know how to talk to this physics professor. It's fine because the Socratic method helps you and gives you tools in engaging with conversations with people who bash or do not believe in Christianity. And it goes like this. We're going to sum it up in three questions. Now, these three questions I want you to try and apply to someone who makes a statement contrary to Christianity, all right? First question, what do you mean by that? Let's all say it together. What do you mean by that? Yes. Second question, the follow-up question after the first one. What brought you to that conclusion? Say it together. What brought you to that conclusion? Yes. The third question after the answer to the second one is, have you ever considered? Let's say it together. Have you ever considered? Yes. What, what do you mean by that? What brought you to that conclusion? And have you ever considered? Fill in the blank. Now, question number three requires you to know a little bit about your beliefs and your views. So, when someone says God is a myth, all you do is question one. You recognize they made a claim. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by God? And what do you mean by myth? So, you know, they have to explain their concept of God. Maybe it's like, oh, yeah, I also don't believe that God exists, right? You don't know what they're going to say. They say, well, well, there's no evidence for God. 
Well, then you'd be like, question number two. Well, what brought you to the conclusion that there's no evidence for God? You don't have to now say, well, look, here's all the evidence for God. Just ask a question. They say, well, I've never been presented with evidence that really convinced me. Well, then you ask another question. What evidence would convince you? Like, what evidence are you expecting to find that will actually convince you that God can exist? You see, by not even defending your position, you're remaining in the driver's seat of a conversation. Have you ever considered that everything that begins to exist has a cause, and our universe beginning to exist requires the universe to have a cause? Right? That's the guiding question, number three. Now, that requires you to have read up a little bit more, you know, some, some stuff like that. Now, after your second question, it's probably going to happen to you. Do not fall for this trap. Someone's going to be like, well, what's your evidence that God does exist? See, they're trying to flip the questioning over to you, to put you on the defensive. Simply say, well, hey, I'd love to get to that, but you did make a claim, and I really want to understand your position. So I'd really, I'd love if you can just explain what convinced you beyond a reasonable doubt that it's just impossible for God to exist. So you see what I did there? I just flipped it back over to them. Right, now there's going to come a time in the conversation that you have to present your case for why you do believe. And in a situation, if you really feel, I, I, I just don't know how to answer this, simply say, hey, you know what? I don't know. I don't know how to answer your question, but I'll get back to you. Because what you've done there is you've diffused the situation. You're honest, which is really good. Um, but it's really important to get back to the person. All right, so we look at the, the third claim that we went through. Uh, Jesus doesn't exist. Jesus is just a myth like all the other religious figures, like Buddha and Zeus. Um, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by Jesus? What's your understanding of Jesus? Oh, you know, the Jesus of the Bible. He just doesn't exist. Well, what brought you to that conclusion? Question number two, right? And they're going to go through. They might flip it again over to you. Well, why do you think Jesus does exist? I'd love to get to that, but I really want to understand your position. What really convinced you that Jesus doesn't exist? Like, what, what evidence have you explored? Then it's going to go to the third guiding question, and that's the talk for today. Have you ever considered the historical evidence? All right, now, does anyone here have someone close to them? Oh, is it working? I have no, it's probably off. Donkey. <laughs> it was off. All right. Now, does anyone here have someone close to them who does not believe in Christianity? I want to see the hands. Yeah, all right. Yes, good. Now, has anyone here experienced people bashing Christianity around you and you just didn't know how to respond, at least by saying, well, hey, Jesus actually did exist. Any conversations like those lately with family members or friends? Yeah. Right now, I was watching this reality TV show and this couple, it's a, I think it was a dating show, I don't know. But um, the guy was a Christian and she was not. So she found out he was a Christian. And then she asked him, do you actually believe Jesus was real? And he said, yeah. And she just started laughing at him. He didn't know what to do, what to say. So I'm hoping... <laughs> Today's talk will put you in a position where that's not the case. All right. Now, I bet if I were to say to you, you can use your Bible, tell me something about Jesus. Who here thinks they can tell me anything about Jesus? If I said you can take your Bible right now, tell me any attribute or anything about Jesus. Yeah. 
Pretty sure. If you can read, you can do that. All right. Now, what if I said, tell me something about Jesus right now, but without opening your Bible? Could be anything. Right? Was he a man or a woman, as an example? Who here could tell me something about Jesus that they've just learned through their life? Yes. Yeah. Most people can. All right. Now, what if I were to ask you, tell me something about Jesus, but the source of your knowledge is not allowed to be from the Bible? Not from a hymn, not a biblical source. But still, what's true about Jesus? Who here can tell me anything about Jesus? Yeah, good. All right, so we have a couple of people. That's very nice. All right. So the problem when we work with people who do not believe in the Bible, like we said last week, is they do not see the Bible as an authoritative source. Is it just true because the Bible says so, for the Bible tells me so? Because if that's, if that's the only thing we got, then Spider-Man exists because the comic book says so. Uh, Allah of the Quran exists because their book says so. Buddha exists. Y- you see the dilemma we have when we only rely on leaning on the Bible? Now remember, for us as Christians, it's God's divinely inspired word. It's very authoritative to us. But it's not the case for everyone. Now remember, we're holding Jesus to an ancient historical standard. In my conversations online, probably 80% of people do not believe Jesus actually existed. On my online debates, videos, comments that people throw out there, they believe Jesus didn't actually exist. And they commented on this one video of mine where I said, well, no, here's the history of Jesus. And check out this comment. Wait a minute. People have been saying Jesus is real for 2,000 years, yet you are still trying to prove it. What you have is a book character imagined to be real. Recognize the claim? (laughs) What do you mean by that? What brought you to that conclusion? You made a statement. I didn't. You did. But essentially, this person's claiming um, that we have someone who was brought into existence through our imaginations. How would you respond to that? Here's another one. All right. Jesus existed most likely, but what's that really matter? The fact that a historical person, Jesus existed, doesn't do anything to bring any real validity to the Christian religion, as a Christian religion is not just based on some teachings that Jesus said. It is supernatural at the core and includes a bunch of extraordinary beliefs that this does nothing to prove. Well, first of all, that's a gish gallop of a whole bunch of questions. So let's, let's answer them. Well, first of all, this person is trying to minimize any content that we were to bring forward, um, by simply diminishing who Jesus was because other people shared his name. Now, this is a classic example of a straw man who's just reaching for straws. But how would you respond? A whole bunch of claims there. Well, what do you mean by that? When you say Jesus, what do you mean by Jesus? Which Jesus are you referring to? All right. So the next one. Another comment. There's nothing unusual about Jesus. He traveled from village to village, preached religion, performed miracles, and healed people. Oh, that's not unusual at all. Uh, that sort of thing, incredibly common all around the world. India is full of gurus that do that exact same thing. <laughs> now, I have yet to hear of a guru that died and came back to life to, to die for all the sins of the world, claimed to be God, forgave sins. Um, but I do recognize that this person said one thing. He didn't deny any supernatural occurrences, which is good, good on their part. Uh, because that's, that's definitely surrounding Jesus and who he was. Here's another one. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, that was the last one. My bad. Uh, for us, it's pretty easy to build a picture of who Jesus was by opening our Bibles. But again, we're holding Jesus to the standard of all other ancient historical characters. What can we then say is true about Jesus if we do that? So let's look at a couple of non-biblical writings about Jesus. Now, this is in your handout. You don't have to make a whole bunch of notes. It's a summary of every single non-biblical, well, not every single one. There's too many. But these are the major ones that we're going to go through today. All right, the first one is Thalos. There we go. I'm, I'm getting the hang of this. Oh. I spoke too soon. <laughs> All right, there is that Thalos. No, that's Pliny. Boom, boom, back, back, forward. Ah. Anyway, Thalos. Uh, now, now, this is Pliny the Younger. We'll go through him next. Uh, the first writing is Thalos. Now, Thalos is the earliest writing that we have of Jesus outside of the Bible. Thalos wrote about Jesus being crucified and that a sudden darkness came over the land. Now, in the late, he explained the sudden darkness, it was an eclipse. That's why there was a sudden darkness over the land. This is a historian, first century. Late first century, Sextus Julius Africanus comes around, also a historian, disproves Thalos' writing and say, well, no, no, no. The sudden darkness cannot be due to an eclipse because the crucifixion happened during Passover. And Passover happened during a full moon. That's the furthest from an eclipse we can get. Like, full moon, sun, shining on moon. They're pretty far apart. So he refuted him back in the first, late first century. But here's the thing. Thalos, who's not a Christian, not on the side of Christianity, does not deny the crucifixion, nor does he deny the sudden darkness over the land. There's two things that we, we know now are true. Let's carry on. Next one we have is Pliny the Younger. Oh, it's coming. <laughs> I promise you. There it is. So, Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger was also the most famous civil administrator. Oh, I think this is... There we go. Hello. Uh, was the most famous civil administrator in imperial times. Pliny mentions Christ, Christud Maledicere, and here's a direct quote sung antiphonally a hymn to Christ as if to a God. Pliny goes on to refer to these followers of Christ as Christians. So now we know he was crucified. We know there was a sudden darkness over the land. Uh, we know that they sung a hymn to him as if he was a God, um, and his followers were called Christians. And again, just mentioning him means that he existed. Let's go to the next one, Suetonius. Suetonius was a Roman writer and a lawyer. Suetonius was also a friend of Pliny the Younger, um, who we just went over. Now, Suetonius was also the secretary to Emperor Hadrian and wrote the work Lives of Caesars. So once again, a very prominent historical character. That's Pliny the Younger slide. Maybe I had two of the same ones. My bad. No. No, let's just leave them. Um, now, again... Suetonius also writes how Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome because they were making disturbances because of the instigator, Christos. Now, what this means is, as a Christian, we can probably assume they were evangelizing. They're going around, man, with this new faith, this new religion, and they're like, hey, you know what? Let's share the gospel. And they're like, yeah, there it is, Suetonius. And they're like, man, you know what? Please stop doing this. And this is written... <laughs> by a very, very prominent secretary to Emperor Hadrian, 
historian. All right. Then we have Tacitus. Now, maybe some of you have heard of Tacitus before, um, but Tacitus is considered the greatest Roman historian of all time. Uh, he's considered the greatest Roman, Roman historian of all time by historians from Oxford, Princeton, Stanford, and Harvard. There is my appeal to authority fallacy. Now, Tacitus refers to the Christian, Christians in his writings and names their founder, calling him Christ. Tacitus goes on to mention how Christ was crucified by procurator Pontius Pilate during the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Tacitus goes on to then write about a deadly superstition after the crucifixion. Now, Tacitus never explores what this deadly superstition is, but when we look at what superstition means, well, we, it's, it's, it's probably something supernatural, something out of the norm. Now, some people hint that this might be a reference to the resurrection of Christ. Um, but it's, it's a hint, and it'll always remain a hint. Uh, so the greatest source of Roman history mentions Jesus. Here's our next one, Marabar Serapion. Now, Serapion's manuscript can actually be seen in the British Museum, if you were to ever visit it. Uh, he mentions two key things about Jesus. Uh, Serapion first mentions the Jews who killed their wise king, and then mentions the new law the king of the Jews laid down. I'm sure when you, um, you know, reading your Bible and you remember the title that was above the cross, um, it said king of the Jews. So here we have another writing. Lucian of Samosata. Next one. So Lucian mentions Jesus in the following ways. Lucian mentions Christians in Palestine. Lucian goes on to mention Jesus was a prophet, leader, and head of a synagogue. Lucian goes on to mention that they looked up to Jesus as a God, made him their lawgiver, and chose him as the official patron of the group. Lucian also mentions how the man in Palestine was crucified because he brought his new form of initiation into the world. Lucian furthermore mentions that these Christians claim they will live forever and willingly give themselves to death and concludes by calling Christ the crucified sophist. Now, one thing about um, that comment on man, they would just willingly die. If you read his writing, he's actually flabbergasted that they would die for their faith. They threaten them with their life. If you do not leave Christianity, uh, you will be killed. And they're like, oh, I'm being killed for my faith in Jesus? Bring it on. And it blew their minds. They're like, how are you guys so willing to die for this man you call Christ? Which is pretty, pretty good. Next one is Calsus. Now, Calsus was a Neoplatonist thinker and Greek philosopher. Calsus is known as writing the first official attack on Christianity, and his writing is called the True Doctrine. Now, remember, this is a person so far against Christianity, he actually writes the very first attack on them, a piece of literature. So within his writings, he writes about the claim of Jesus coming from virgin birth, and he mentions that he believes Jesus, listen to this one, he hired himself out to laborers in Egypt where he learned certain magical powers. And finally, he mentions that Jesus gave himself the title of God. Now, remember, this is a person against Christianity. He could have flat out denied any type of magical powers that Jesus could have had. He didn't deny it, which means it's there. He just tried to explain it away. 
I don't know, Jesus isn't God. He has these magical powers because he went to Egypt to learn them. Right? So it's always important to realize, oh, what is he actually saying in trying to explain this away? He's affirming that Jesus had certain magical powers. Which is, for us, it's, it's pretty good. Flavius Josephus. Now, some of you might have heard of Josephus. Um, Tacitus and Josephus are usually used the most when trying to present a case for the historical Jesus. Now, Josephus is known as the primary source of Jewish history of the time as a Jewish historian. Josephus wrote for Emperor Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. Josephus wrote the Jewish antiquities, and within those antiquities, he mentions Jew Jesus numerous times. He mentions that Jesus had the brother. Jesus is the one called Christ, whose brother was James, um, as well as that Jesus was known to be a wise man. Mentions that Jesus was a worker of amazing deeds. There we have it again and a teacher of the people. He mentions that Jesus was called the Messiah and mentions that Jesus was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Now, Josephus also mentions the tribe of Christians that were named after him. All right, now, what can we consider um, thinking about these eight writings? So, when we're holding Jesus to the same ancient historical standard even Bart Ehrman, who's an agnostic skeptic professor of religious studies, says the following. This is not even an issue for scholars of antiquity. The reason for thinking Jesus existed is because he is abundantly attested in early sources. Now, because we also said we're going to hold Jesus to the same standard, let's measure the manuscript evidence for Jesus and all the others that are the most documented people in ancient history. So, First, we have Homer. Homer has 1,800 manuscripts. Sorry, not first, second place. My bad, second place. Homer, 1,800 manuscript dated 400 years after his death. Then we have, I can't say this name, Demosthenes, 200 manuscripts, 1,400 years after. Herodotus, with eight manuscripts, 1,400 years after. Plato, with seven manuscripts, 1,200 years after his existence. Caesar, is mentioned in 10 manuscripts. Pliny, with seven manuscripts, 750 years after his existence. Alexander the Great, mentioned in three manuscripts. Cleopatra, mentioned in one manuscript, indirectly. In the first place, we have Jesus. Jesus, 5,800 handwritten Greek manuscripts, 20,000 manuscripts in Latin, Syriac, Coptic, and Arabic, which is a total of over 25,000 manuscripts. Remember, second place was 1,800, Homer. First place, Jesus, over 25,000. Uh, you might ask, well, why does this matter? <laughs> Discrediting Jesus means you discredit every single ancient historical character in history. You saying Jesus doesn't exist is like saying Caesar doesn't exist, Tiberius Caesar. That's like saying Alexander the Great never existed. That's like saying Cleopatra doesn't exist. That's like saying Homer, not in history. That's why this matters. That's why when we hold Jesus to a standard according to the world, according to ancient history, without a doubt, Jesus is the most attested ancient historical character. And we haven't even opened the Bible yet. Now, we all have to do something with this. Something that's a little bit important. In light of this historical evidence, we all have time to react. If we look at Nicodemus. He wants to go, but he doesn't go. He's missing out. He's not willing to take the full step. He likes his life too much. 
Do you like your life too much? If we got rid of Jesus right now, how would your life change? Would you still come to church just for the mingle? You know, is, is Jesus like just a piece of furniture in your life? As an example, if my wife were to go missing, if I were to lose my wife out of my life right now, um, it would be the biggest upset in our family. And the question then becomes, is Jesus that for you? If Jesus were to disappear right now out of your life as a Christian, would it have the same impact on your life as your wife? Or is Jesus more like your boss? Like, hey, you know, you tiptoe around Jesus, you try to clock in early enough, you don't want to go too late. From, like, like it's, it's, it's just this boss you're trying to please. Um, it's a different relationship than with your wife. See, if you're maybe here and you don't believe in Christianity, you do not subscribe to Christianity, but you're seeking, man, I hope this brings you closer. Because with anything, if we want to learn more about Caesar, we go to the lives of Caesar. We read that book. If we want to know more about any other ancient historical character, we'd actually go to their direct source, not their enemy sources. So in following that logic, you'd also go to the source for Jesus, which is the Bible. We've, we've clearly demonstrated that Jesus was real. Jesus existed. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Uh, there was a sudden darkness over the land. He was known to be a miracle worker, a wise man, and a man of good deeds. He was um, sung and Tiffany him as if a god. His followers immediately were willing to die f- for him and his belief. Man, if God can exist and God can come into his creation, and Jesus might be it, to be honest with yourself intellectually, we, we should pursue this. Well, let's read more about Jesus. So I, I do want to encourage you. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, three things can be true about Jesus. After all of this, after all of this historical evidence for Jesus. Now, Jesus was either a liar, he was either a lunatic, or he was and is Lord. We see in Luke 9, verse 18 to 20, this. Jesus asks a question, who do you say I am? Now, this is a question for you personally today, this morning. If you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're so close, talk to Louis email the team, have a conversation with someone. They'd be willing and able to talk with me. Like, man, we'd love to go on that journey with you. If you're seeking to respond to doubts, if you're like, man, this is great, deep dive into apologetics. Put on a podcast on the way to work. 30 minutes would do wonders. I want to ask you to share Jesus with someone. Whether that is the case for God, which might be, whoa, that's too much, Ashley. That's later on. It's fine. Maybe it's Jesus, the historicity of Jesus. Maybe it's just engaging in the three questions when someone says Christianity is not true. What do you mean by that? What brought you to that conclusion? Have you ever considered? Have you ever considered the ancient historical evidence for Jesus actually existing? Let's pray. Father, as we, as we stand here, as we read all these writings about who Jesus was, I am personally today really thankful. I am thankful that you made such an impact that even your enemies wrote about you. I'm thankful for the life-changing message that you brought that even your enemies wrote about you. I am thankful 
for the eyewitness testimony that saw Jesus resurrected, that, that changed people's lives so drastically that they were more than willing to die instead of renouncing their new faith. But Father, I'm really excited and really thankful for your word, your divinely inspired Bible. It teaches us so much about your goodness, about your will, your will for our lives, who Jesus was, who Jesus is, the love that you have for us, that Jesus would die for our sins. Father, we are thankful for who you are and who you have revealed yourself to be. Father, as this church carries on in their journey pursuing you, as people are here interested in you, Father, I pray that you will work through those around them to journey with them. Father, I, I pray that you will encourage that last final step. Encourage a step closer to you because you change lives. Father, I'm thankful for Louis and the team here at Grace Church, and I pray a blessing over this church as they continue to grow, as they continue to share your truth and your gospel. I'm thankful for who you are. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church.